electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, a summer search for stocks, whether one is more likely than not, and why some still say a correction is coming. We debate that with our investment committee today. Joining me for the hour, Stephanie Link. Tiffany McGee is the CEO and CIO at Pivotal Advisors. Joe Terranova, Josh Brown, John Najarian, good to see everybody today. Let's go to the wall and check stocks. Picture looks good today, but not as good as it once did. Dow and the S&P briefly trading above their May 7th record closing high. Nasdaq's now gone negative. S&P still holding on, but only by three points. Dow's more than half away from its best gains of the day. Still good for 128. All right, Joe, this is what I want to know. History is not kind to June, but as we start now really to think about trading in the summer, are we going to have that summer surge? What do you think? I think we have the summer surge if we can finally get small cap participation. You mentioned recent highs. If you study the all-time intraday highs, you'll find that the S&P, the Dow, and the NASDAQ, well, they've all reached that within the last five weeks. But you have to go back to March 15th to find that for uh, the Russell and small cap. So we need small caps to play catch up here. We need some confirmation, candidly, Scott, as it relates to Treasury yields if this cyclical orientation is going to be validated. And I said to Patty before, I think the market's a little disoriented right now because the outperformance is in that cyclically oriented component of, uh, of the equity structure, but it's not being confirmed by Treasury yields. Joe, I mean, the Russell is up 16% year to date. Now, I take your point that over the last month, the Russell has done not that much. But neither is anything else. It's not like the small cap stocks have done absolutely nothing. And all of a sudden, Joe, we need them to show up so we can validate something. Well, they've lagged. They have lagged, Scott. And a lot of the reason that they have now regained leadership amongst the other indexes is because they're up about two and a half percent here in the last five days. So they've come back very strong here in the last five days. I need that to continue. You know, you suggested what... If we're going to see strength in the summer, continuing to push to new highs, uh, I want the confirmation both in the economic numbers and in the equities that are most cyclically uh, correlated to that economic strength. I, I get, look, the, the, the Russell over the last three months is only up a half percent relative to a Dow that's up 16 and the S&P up, up eight. So I get where you're coming from. It's not like, though, they, they've done absolutely nothing. However, Stephanie Link, Mike Wilson, our friend over at Morgan Stanley, says we're not going to the next level in the market until we reckon with the present. And we're not done reckoning with the present. He says, quote, the majority of our clients think valuations uh, are fair at current levels. We remain convinced that the derating process, that's what he calls it, is not over and still has 75 percent to go or an approximately 
15% decline in PEs from here, leading the overall market vulnerable to a 10 to 15% correction over the next six months. Mike Wilson reigning all over the Bulls parade. What do you think, Steph? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I agree with him on a lot of things, but look, we're up 12% year-to-date in the S&P 500. That's year-to-date. Usually 12% in a year are really good returns. And we're up 82% from the March 2020 lows, right? I do think we could stall out here a little bit. Maybe we could pull back 5% or 10%. I don't have the number, but I, I wouldn't be surprised just to see some profit-taking and a pause, right? But I do think if we do see a pullback, it gets bought because there's so much liquidity in the system. To me, what's more interesting is what's going on underneath the surface, and that's rotation. We've talked about this a lot. For the most part, value has outperformed growth year to date. But in the last two months, you've had a couple of weeks in each month where growth actually was trying to make a recovery. Um, and it did for the most part, right? But I do think the reason why you're seeing these rotations and gyrations really is because there's a debate. Is the economy, is, is the, the economic growth sustainable? Is inflation transitory? or not and how high are rates going to go and so you know my thought it's been very consistent i think you will see that liquidity is working right and you will see economic growth continue to be strong maybe not at the pace that we've been seeing it but it will remain strong i think there's inflation all over the place especially on the wage side and so i think you want to own the reflation names i think you want to own on these pullbacks those are the ones you're going to want to buy well i mean john and jerry and i don't think anybody really thinks the market's all that advantageous right now because I'm looking at that little section of my notes today that has trader moves. Josh, none. John, none. Link, none. Joe, none. Tiff just has one, which we'll get to. <laughs> but what does that say about where you all think we're, we're going from here? It's June, you know, June trading's underway. We're trying to think if we're having a summer sizzle or a slump. What do you think? Yep. Yep. You're right, Scott. And uh, obviously, um, Carl and the crew hit what we're going to be looking at for Thursday, not just uh, um, employment data on Friday, but we're going to have some data coming our way this week. We're going to have Powell coming up in June as well. Uh, I don't think those things are going to move the markets. Uh, three and four months ago, we were looking for a million jobs uh, to be created per month, several months in a row. I'm not looking for that, Scott, until um, kids are back in school, until the unemployment um, extra runs out. And when that happens, then I think you'll start to see a surge of people back into the workforce. But right now we've got more demand than can be met with the supply of workers. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, the reopening plays, if you want to look at the hottest stocks this year, it's been American Airlines, it's been Carnival Cruise Lines, it's been Sabre, um, it's probably been a bunch of uh, the booking sites as well. And that's where you're getting the juice right now. I don't think that runs out until people go back to school and so forth, Scott. I think demand through the summer is going to be sky high. Josh, my bud's been talking about Live Nation. He's been spot on about that. I agree with him about that. I think people will be wanting to go out to concerts. Look at the Indy 500 this weekend. 136,000 people in the stands. Um, so I do think that we're all ready to get out there and do things for things like that, Scott, where you can meet that demand with supply because those seats are just there, fine. But in restaurants, it's not happening, not at the pace that you would have thought because, again, they can't get enough workers. And I think that's a problem. That's the bottleneck right now. Okay. So, Josh, you know, Doc, Doc mentioned you. Mike Wilson says valuations are, are still too rich. 
Savita over at Bank of America says, you know, investors are still grappling with a whole lot of stuff that we talk about every day. Rising yields, inflation, is it transitory, is it persistent, the strong economy against questions of when the Fed may get in and ruin the party for everybody. Then there's Brian Belsky, who was with us late last week and said everybody's simply too negative. Let's listen to Belsky. We can discuss on the other side. I think analysts are too, too negative, uh, too pessimistic. I think earnings are going higher. The bottom line on this is this, is that we've been in a momentum market for all of 2019, 2020, and, and most of 2021. We're in the early stages of transitioning to an earnings-driven, fundamentally biased market. That means more diverse performance. That means a broadening out. All right, Josh, there's Belsky. Who's right? And don't tell me both. Um, I'm just looking at the big picture. Uh, Money is still cheap and abundant. Stephanie made that point. Um, Earnings, uh, Ed Yardeni had a piece over the weekend. The most explosive upside surprise maybe ever, like of all time, for Q1. Um, I'm seeing huge opening gap higher in foreign developed large cap stocks, mostly Europe, Japan. Look at that, though. Look at MSCI IFA a gap open to get the month of June started. I'm seeing XLF up 1% today to all-time highs. Take a look at the IYR. Give me this Give me this REIT index ETF. Massive, massive breakout. And then I look at my individual REITs. Let me ask you, let me tell you a question, because I'm not going to wait for your response. <laughs> What's a good inflation hedge? How about, <laughs> how about home rentals? Look, so take a look at the breakout in, in my name, uh, Invitation Homes. Clear and present danger to the bears. These things are rocking. Simon Property Group, now 130. Forget it, it's gone. On the way to 180. Almost no resistance till it gets there. Crude is ripping. Energy stocks are following that rip in crude. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bonanza in that space. So it's a very impressive rotation. I agree with Stephanie. It's hard to get overly bearish. You do have some very big, important stocks in no man's land. Apple, Amazon, Netflix doing nothing. But that's OK. There are plenty of places that people are making money. I don't know why we have to overthink it. We're going to have a taper. It'll probably be the end of the year. The Fed's going to spend every month between now and then getting us ready for it. They're going to let slip the, the idea of a taper every time they speak. Right. By the time we have it, I think we'll have a taper, no tantrum. In fact, I think the market is so worried about inflation that when they start tapering, it, unlike 2013, it'll actually be a relief. People will say, oh, thank God they started. So that's where I am. And I'm just looking at price. You can make things up that aren't happening. I'm telling you what's literally happening on the screen in front of me. Going north. Love it. Mic drop on that. <clears throat> Tiffany, is he right? Because it sure makes a lot of sense to me. Maybe, maybe people who are trying to get negative are just overthinking things. And it's as simple as Josh put it. Yeah, I, I don't think it's complicated. I, I do think it's simple. Listen, Scott, I think we're going to have uh, an easy, breezy summer, right? So, like, the earnings story continues to be extremely positive, as as we've mentioned earlier. Um, and we're also really going to be in super hyper, uh, you know, full reopen mode. And so people have been saving money, so they have money to spend. It's summertime. You know, the kids are, you know, out of whatever school was for the, for, for, for um, the past year. So I do believe 
stocks are going to go higher, um, but I don't think it's going to go in a straight line, right? Um, and so I kind of continue to look for these like glittery, what I like to call, this is like, like my new term, these select glittery opportunities, these SGOs, right? So like an Airbnb. So, you know, it's cheaper to actually rent a really nice house for a week than to stay in a hotel. And I think coming out of this kind of, you know, stay at home uh, kind of mode where we really couldn't see family, people are looking for experiences, right? This is like kind of like this, you know, last moment before everybody really, really has to kind of go back to work. Um, and so I think a company like Airbnb is going to do well. So John Nigerian must have <coughs> stolen my show notes and, uh, <laughs> and, yep. and actually read them <laughs> because did. he said exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> It's okay. Great minds think alike. Um, I think that the summer goes really, really well. And I think that um, it's okay. <laughs> and I think that um, we're going to start to see a little bit. Um, I think where it starts to slow down is in September when kids are going back to school, where we have to think about childcare, where that unemployment runs out, that, that additional unemployment because of COVID runs out. Um, and, you know, things are going to get uh, you know, really, for lack of a better term, really real. But I think for the next few months in the summertime, I think it's easy breezy. Wow. Joe, easy breezy. Um, that doesn't necessarily sound like what mm. you're thinking. So let, let's, let's match this up <laughs> and let's debate it around because I don't hear easy breezy from a lot of others. Well, it, it, to me, investing is never easy breezy, um, but I'll, I'll trust that Tiffany's uh, got the evidence to support that. I, I just think looking forward, a lot of what Josh said is the complexity within the way you're constructing your positions. I think you have to accept that if you own Apple, if you own Amazon, they're going to underperform you to date. I think you have to accept what Josh talked about as it relates to energy. Energy is going to outperform, which means, guess what? Most of all of us are going to underperform the benchmark this year because it's so incredibly hard to get the exposure to energy. And then you also have the obstacle of ESG investing as well. So it, it's all about liquidity. I think that's why you have to continue to just be invested. Well, $7.9 trillion <clears throat> on the Fed's balance sheet. It reached an all-time high just two weeks ago. So I think it's about <clears throat> being invested. I just think it's difficult right now to try and identify where you specifically want to be in terms of being there. I think you just ha have to be everywhere and understand that being everywhere means that a lot in your portfolio is not going to work. I mean, I don't, you know, it, he's it, got, it depends what parts of, your, of the market you're in. Tiff, go ahead quick, because then I want to I want to switch gears he, just for a second, mm -hmm. broaden it out a little bit. But please go ahead. Real, really quick. So 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 again, you know, I'm not talking about necessarily being invested in the broad S in, in the broad S&P 500. You need to look investors need to need to be looking for these opportunities that that they have conviction around that they believe are going to do well long term. It really is not about being, you know, a trader. It's about being um more of an investor. And so these these names, um, you know, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, we've owned and, and most everybody on the sh on the show owns for years and years and years. It's not about the summer. It's not about one year. It's a longer term play. So I think that strategy here is just going to be just as important um, as <clears throat> as, uh, you know, picking um, the right names. You know, I really want to play off this overthinking market uh, idea because we bring in Mike Santoli. He's a senior markets commentator uh, here who's, who's frequently with us. You know, Mike, I'm wondering, you know, as we listen to this conversation, I think to a conversation that was, was had this morning on, on Squawk Box that I was listening to, 
where Muhammad El Arian referenced a comment that Lee Cooperman had made to those uh, those guys the last time that, that he was on, where he said he was a fully invested bear. The premise being, I don't really love the environment. I think that eventually the party's going to end. But you know what? Right now, those are the cards I have in my hand. That's the way I need to play the game. And that's the way I'm going to play it until I get closer to thinking that his game's going to end. And that's the best place to be. Right. Um, I mean, I do think that's one way that people come to terms with, you know, investing in a market which cosmetically at 21 times earnings does not seem cheap, which is up 90 percent, you know, in 14 months or something like that. And and doesn't seem as if there's a lot of unexplored uh, opportunities out there. I get that. uh, And it makes some sense. And by the way, I do think that in aggregate, people are relatively fully invested. I do agree that over the last six weeks when the market as a whole, the, the, the big cap indexes have basically gone sideways. It has had some wear and tear on attitudes. And so you have had people kind of get a little bit less bullish. Uh, you've seen people go to the neutral camp. Actually, if you look at the surveys, there's a lot of neutrals out there because people are a little bit confused. The leadership profile has not been consistent. I think that's one of those things day to day. It's kind of it's a Nasdaq 100 day or it's a bank stock index day. And it's not necessarily made people on a, you know, on a prolonged basis, feel as if they got things figured out. All that's to the good. I think that the sideways phase, it feels more like traction than slippage because you had about 60% of all stocks up over that span. The equal weighted index is uh, higher than the S&P uh, market cap weighted. So all that is, I think, weight of the evidence on the positive side. I do think, though, we don't know what's priced in. You could name all of the obvious good stuff going on. Uh, and say, don't overthink it. This is all positive. And also say, well, pure reopening stocks peaked in mid-March. Small caps uh, basically peaked, uh, you know, uh, not too long after that. You did also have the hyper growth stuff peak in February. And so I, I think that there's a sense out there in which, you know, we don't know what's really priced in. Um, uh, and also this flattening out of the market started about April 16th. So the entirety, basically, of earnings season the market got no net benefit from, even though it was the best upside beat in history. What if I said to you, though, maybe the thing that's not priced in is all of this quote unquote worry that we're hearing about that if that dissipates, because that's unquantifiable, right? Except that I'm telling you that the worry is more about words and it's not evident in people actually pulling money out of this market. Flows are still strong. People are still there. Uh, People are playing it. Uh, yes, not to the not to the hill, not to the degree they were maybe a little while ago. But, you know, any anything you would look at, even the options market volumes kind of picking up again and the meme stock game getting restarted shows you that people have not unplugged uh, from equity. So I agree with you that there's certainly room for a, a wall of worry to, to be whittled down further from here. But this is not a heavily doubted or shorted market, in my view. I'm trying to figure out, Josh, what there is to worry about other than if Mike says words and those words happen to come from the Fed. But you think that the taper talk is going to go smoother than people think. So what what's the worry? I mean, I'm, I'm looking at my sheet. What takes stocks to the next level? I wrote and I have great, great Q2 earnings. OK, I think we're probably going to get that. Great reopening. No, 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 no. We, are we going to get that? I think so. The comps, Great flood of the liquidity. Com- the, comps We've got get that. Hard. the comps get harder. Okay, but earnings are the, still improving. The, com- I the mean- comps get correct, and only a child doesn't understand that we're never going to have as easy a comp again as Q2 
2020 is providing us. Like everybody gets that. The other thing is that real yields actually are going lower, which means the Tina issue is not just still with us, it's even more with us. Real yields are the only thing that matter. So you have inflation now higher than the, the, the rise in bond yields anyway, even though bond yields went up. So as long as real yields are in the condition that they're in, the Tina thing never goes away. One thing I want to I ask um, Santoli, though, while we have him, he mentioned this idea of there being no consistent leadership and it going back and forth yeah. each day, to which I say, you know, praise the Lord, because that's how markets top. Sure. When everybody knows which select group of stocks are going to make a new high every day and which stocks you should just not even pay attention to, that's how markets top. We have the opposite. Every day I wake up, it's like Russian roulette, but the good kind, where, ooh, who's going to make me money today? Like, that, that's actually a really, really positive condition, even if it's confusing people who are in their first year of investing. They'll yeah. catch on. Me and Mike like that idea. No, I agree. I agree that as long as that phase is, is, is going on, it keeps people from getting kind of overconfident. It keeps the market from getting overextended in any one direction. Yes. So I, I think that's, that's good. By the way, right. Josh, also agree with you that it's bullish that global markets are also participating in breaking out. But the EFA ETF is up because the world was open yesterday <laughs> and global markets were up and the <laughs> ETF had to catch up on the upside. That's why it, that's why you mean to say that's why it gapped. That's what Agree, it gapped but it's still a record yeah. high. No, I got you. But it's still a but it's still a record high. And yeah. those stocks perform even when we're still sleeping. That's right. Um, so it's kind of like an anti Bitcoin when when you watch uh, Europe on a day we're closed. Yeah. So so then then, Steph, where, where do you want to be putting your money and that for your clients? in the environment that Mike and Josh and the rest of the gang have described? Well, you know, I've, I've been talking about barbell for, for months on end. I have 70% of my portfolio are reflation. So it's more like economically sensitive companies, reopen companies, industries, and that sort of thing. But I don't think you want to abandon secular growth because I still feel like the total addressable markets are so appealing. But they may pause because they're not cheap. And I think that you're also going to start to see a shift more towards services versus goods. And so I want to also start to emphasize more on services. And that's why I want to own reopen. And that's why I do. I own Marriott, I own Vail Resorts, Wynn, Las Vegas Sands, like a whole bunch of names. And I think that they are poised to actually be the leaders coming out of this. Doc? I agree. I mean, uh, those names that Steph named, I'm in virtually every one of those along with her. Um, I think Las Vegas Sands, boy, is that going to rock, Scott. Um, Wynn Resorts, likewise. Um, and again, I, I'm hitting those opening, reopening plays and one of the backbones of all of that is Sabre. We have unusual activity in that name almost on a weekly basis, S-A-B-R. Um, and I think that one continues to play out along with um, many of those that have just gotten uh, approvals, for instance, Norwegian Cruise Lines, NCLH, Carnival Cruise Lines, CCL, both just got great news towards the end of last week. And look at where those stocks are now year to date. What about Tiffany, the banks, which had a great performance in the month of May. I mean, Citi's up 10.5%, Morgan Stanley 10. You've got 7, 7, 4, 4.5, 5, you know, around those levels of gains for the financials. Does, does the momentum there continue because of reflating the economy, rates moving higher? Hey, hey it's Josh. Um, I get disconnected. I think it does a it was bit. my fault. Uh, oh. <laughs> Do you want me to finish? <laughs> 
<laughs> you gonna call in a sandwich too? Hello? Or are you uh, you good, Josh? <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, I, I, I um, again, you know, banks are a staple in our portfolio. <laughs> Uh, banks are a staple in our portfolio, right? And, and again, I, I, you know, you guys know the names that I like. Um, we like JP, we like Goldman, um, and we also like some of these smaller um, investment banks with, uh, that, that also are involved in um, M&A. Um, and so, you know, we, again, I'm not looking at these opportunities as this summer or the rest of this year. I mean, these are these are staples in our portfolio and we're looking for things that have or we're interested in and invested in names that have this long-term staying power. So for us, I, you know, again, I really don't care what those names do, what, what, what these financials do um, over the summer for the rest of the year um, because we've picked some good companies and we're, we're just going to ride it. Okay. Mike Santoli, leave us with a, a last word uh, from you. And then I want to move on to some actual picks in the small cap universe, which we've also discussed. I was just going to say, um, you know, we talk about the surge or swoon. You know, boring is probably the most bullish thing for summer. You know, this kind of lockstep, uh, really unremarkable low drama uptrends are where things tend to do best in a bull market. So, uh, you know, if if things start to really jerk around either direction, it probably means that uh, this nicely balanced kind of favorable rotation type market is breaking down. That's not happening yet. Yeah. All right. Good stuff. Michael, thank you, as always. Guys, let's go through the the realm of of small caps for a moment because, you know, we talk about them in the broad context. We don't necessarily go deep and and pick, you know, actual names that we like within that space. Sometimes we do, but many times we don't. And, Josh, you have an interesting one on on your list that you like, and it's Alcoa. Tell me why is that? Yeah. Just purely on technicals. You know what this company is. It's like it's it's literally like a like uh, caveman technology. But these are the types of stocks that are working right now. I wouldn't buy this at gunpoint, but uh, fundamentally, but the technicals are outrageously good. This is one of the best charts we could find in the Russell 2000. It's a materials name working its way higher. Uh, It's got plenty of room. Even if you go back to just before the the brilliance of the trade war started, this was a $60 name. And now it's got even bigger tailwinds than it had um, during the fake infrastructure bills that were never signed. So I like the stock here. I think it's going up. Uh, and I think you could trail it very easily with that rising 200-day moving average. Take all the guesswork out. Let the market tell you when you're wrong. Market cap here is only $7.5 billion. So while the stock's been trending higher, I still don't think it's truly been rediscovered yet by everybody else. Yeah. Uh, moving towards the highs of the day here, uh, shares of Alcoa. Dr. J, Main Foods, C-A-L-M. Yeah, well, um, our technical analyst, uh, A.J. Monty, was all over this one, Scott, because he says it looks like it's setting up for a double bottom here. Um, just got a downgrade a little over a week ago that took it down to these um, to that double bottom-ish level. And uh, biggest egg producer and buyer in the United States. I mean, they produce billions of eggs. They buy billions of eggs. And because of the cost of feed, Scott, That's one of the main reasons that that stock has slid. But demand is still really strong. Um, McDonald's is one of their largest customers, of course. But when you look at all of the things that are going on in the small cap space and you see an input like this one, in this case, feed for those chickens and so forth, I think that that um, has peaked. And I think that the demand for eggs is still extremely strong. So picking this one up, 
down here at these levels. I really like okay. it, Scott. We'll get to the other picks uh, coming up as well. And up next, a bullish call on Boeing, pushing those shares higher today. Stephanie Link owns it. Jim, Jim Labenthal does. As you know, he told you last week to stick with it despite those ongoing 787 issues. He's going to call in next to tell you what to do next. And as a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Welcome back. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is your CNBC News update at this hour. Most employees at the White House are going back to the office full-time starting next month. A new memo says that the transition from remote work will happen sometime between July 6th and 23rd. Pope Francis rewriting the Catholic Church's law books to try to improve how it deals with sex abuse by priests. The new changes explicitly criminalize the abuse of adults by clergymen, and lay people with church positions can also be sanctioned. And tonight on the news, why the changes have been more than a decade in the making and how the news and the new laws are being received by Catholics around the world. In Russia, a new crackdown on political opposition leaders. Police there arresting an activist at his apartment just hours after he was pulled off a plane headed for Poland. The move is widely seen as a way to stop challenges to the ruling party and upcoming parliamentary elections. And the World Health Organization has given emergency use approval to the COVID vaccine made by China's Sinovac. It's the country's second vaccine to get such authorization. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Well, thank you very much, Rahel Solomon. All right, Boeing hired today on the back of an upgraded cow in the firm, noting fast improving air traffic, raising the price target now to 290 bucks. That's just a little bit lower than Farmer Jim's price target. And he joins us right now. It's good to see you, Jimmy. Hey, you too, Scotty. Thanks. You know, I I, I call on you when there's bad news and I put you on the spot. And today there's an upgrade. So I want to hear your thoughts here. And you were not phased one bit by that news last week on 787 delays because you said, whatever, stock's still going to 300. Yeah, well, the investor sentiment has changed. And I'm sorry I couldn't be on with you live on Friday. You know, I had my son's graduation. But um, look at the last two weeks on this stock, and it shows you how investor sentiment has changed. You had good news when Airbus announced its uh, production increase on the A320. The stock rips. Uh, Friday, you had this 787 delivery delay snafu. Stock went down. But here we are a day later, and the stock is ripping again. And it's ripping on this Cowan report, which is a good report, except that it breaks no new ground. There's nothing really new in it. It's still a good report, but it's a summary. So this is a stock. It's up 14% in the last two weeks. Investor sentiment has clearly turned where good news matters more than bad. And, Scott, if you take a look at a chart, and I'm not sure it may have just been up there, you know, the last year, this thing's in a beautiful stair-step pattern. Uh, The last stair topped out at 278. We're going to go past that before the end of the year. I think it'll get sucked up to 300 because beyond everything I'm saying, the fundamentals are great. Um, You've got air traffic returning, and with oil prices as high as they are, these new planes, which are very fuel efficient that Boeing produces, the airlines need them. So 
this is a really good time to be in Boeing. I, I, you're supposed to buy it here. Good to, good to hear your thoughts. And the key thing that jump out to me, Stephanie Link, who also owns it, the, what Jim says, good news matters more than bad. And maybe that is the bottom line right now. And that is the biggest shift in sentiment for investors, that you finally focus on the better news rather than whatever uh, delay or what have you comes up regarding an airline. As Jimmy said, it's a, the ultimate reopen stock and air traffic is recovering, but not back, back to where it was. So there's still more room there. If production rates are going higher and deliveries are going higher, and Jimmy knows this just as well as I do, the stock trades on free cash flow. And you're going to go from a loss of over $2.5 billion this year in free cash flow to almost $16 billion in the next three years. That's huge. It's a huge swing. And I don't think it's getting appreciated by the market. And oh, by the way, even though the stock's had a nice run lately, it is still down 42% from February 28th, 2019. So there's still a lot more that, that can happen that's good, and the stock can appreciate higher. Let me ask you this question, Jim. I'm going to put you on the spot because that's what I do. Um, as an investor, do you have faith in management? Well, that's a great question. And, you know, Steve Weiss has been hitting me over the head on this. There's a question hanging out there about management um, because this 737 MAX issue was poor governance. But let me be fair to them. Um, when that 777 blew its engine over Denver, they immediately grounded that type of aircraft. They immediately they didn't bat an eye. They immediately grounded it. That was the opposite of what they did two years ago with the 737 MAX. So, you know, um, this leopard can change its spots or whatever the euphemism is. Uh, there's still a question there. It's a good question, but I think we got to give them the benefit of the doubt. Stock is at 300 by year end. Because, right, I mean, they, they, those kinds of questions come around again with the delay in the 787, right? And the FAA is, is look, continues to look into that issues, too. It's almost like they're a little bit exasperated as some who watch the stock. The question is going to linger. It is the right question to ask. As far as the FAA goes, and I don't want to just be blowing sunshine around here, but um, if I were the FAA right now, I'd be in a shoot first, ask questions later uh, mode because of what happened with the 737 MAX. So I expect them at any sign of any issue to say, hey, hold on, let's wait up, let's see what's going on here before we proceed. They're, they're working with an abundance of caution. I think it's going to be like that for the next year, but I don't think that upsets the stock because I just don't see any major design flaws in any of the airframes that we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, look, Steph, you've owned it for, for a long time, longer than Jim. Um, do you, I'll give you the last word. 737. That's what you pay attention to. The MAX and just in general, the 737. We don't really care that much about 777 or 787. So that's why the stock did not fall that much last week, right? So I, I still, I think management actually is doing a pretty good job. And oh, by the way, remember, we have a catalyst for China recertification. And I think it's going to come sometime second half of this year. That's going to be a nice catalyst. Right. I think it goes higher than 300. Oh, you want to throw out a number just to be like that? No. <laughs> Darn it. I just think it's higher than nah. 300, for sure. <laughs> Thought I had you there. <laughs> All right, I got to work on my game a little bit. All right, Jim, thanks for calling in, or thanks for coming in. Uh, uh, it's good to see you, as always. Steph, thank you. All right, up next, Doc has unusual activity. Plus, June is Pride Month, and all month long, we'll be spotlighting CNBC contributors, business leaders, and our own CNBC anchors and producers. Here's CNBC's Shepard Smith. I think to celebrate, you have to first be thankful. You have to be thankful for those people who came out when it was difficult and potentially injurious and 
it could be a hazard to their health. And they did it for years and years so that all of us can live authentically. And I'm so thankful for every single person who did that. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. It's unusual activity time. Dr. J, what do you see today? ExxonMobil is what I'm going to kick it off with, Scott. XOM. Why? Well, we had an OPEC decision today. They're going to slowly start bringing back some production, Scott. Um, and the uh, oil market is up about 30% this year. Uh, Brent crude, in fact, was over 71 earlier this morning. So Exxon, we notice a big buyer of July uh, 65 calls. That's with the stock right around $60. I'm going to buy the at the money 60 calls, Scott, and start lacing in some higher strikes against that. Probably be in the trade about five weeks. Second trade, take a look at what's going on in SMH, the semiconductor index. That one, June 255 calls, actively traded 10,500 of those with that index at about $250. Yeah, about 250.55. I will likely be in that trade about two weeks because it's June instead of the other being July. But I like the moves in both. And these are big, uh, in the case of Exxon, a massive stock. In the case of Semiconductor, who has more pricing power than these guys? Like them both. Dr. J, thank you. Zoom and DocuSign reporting earnings this week. Two pandemic plays struggling so far this year. We'll find out how to play them from here next on The Half. All right, we're back. Zoom reports earnings after the bell today. Both Tiffany and Josh own it. Tiffany, you first. Stock year to date to done nothing. <laughs> Stock over the last three months done less than nothing. Stock from its 52-week high has done a lot of nothing, down 44.5%. Jim Cramer says they need to reinvent <clears throat> themselves for life after the pandemic. What do you think? So I think the key number here is the stock since the IPO in March of 2019 is up 800%. I think that's the key here. And so, again, this is still this conversation of are you a trader or are you an investor? And so we owned it uh, actually right after the IPO. So we're pretty happy with everything. And again, there's a, a, um, there, there's a strategy. You don't 
you know, own it and continue to add to it and then let it kind of like run amok. You're always trimming and, you know, you you, you have your, your your strategy in terms of when you were balanced. And so that's what we've done. If you bought Zoom in the middle of 2020 because it was, you know, going like this, then you might be a little bit um, upset right no, now. Why right. Not, and why then not, why you know, not you take probably, some money? Why not take some money off the table when it did the sign that you just did on the screen that the, this? Did you Oh, do you that? should. You should. And we. Yeah, of course. That? And we always rebalance. Yes, of course. Yeah, we, we and we always rebalance, but we still own it and we still believe in it long term. And so I think that that is the key here. And I know, you know, Zoom tends to get caught up in this reopen trade, stay at home, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we owned it before the pandemic and we still believe in the strategy. I do think that they need to, to, to do something to reinvent themselves. I think that they're still in a good place, right? So, you know, people are Zooming because of the pandemic and they, they started to do that. And I don't think that they're necessarily going back. And I'm not talking about business use, right? Because I know that, that they have competition from, you know, Microsoft and things like that. But, you know, if grandma is across the country, we can now Zoom and it's cool, right? And I think that we're gonna continue to do that. But I am looking for how they will reinvent themselves. I do think that they need to do something in the way of that with Zoom rooms or whatever. So I am looking for what their plan is um, on, on this earnings call. But I'm not selling. We okay. are holding. Right. But of course you trim. Of course. So, so Josh, just how do you see it? Right. I mean, because, you know, we could have a debate for the next 25 days on how how popular you think Zoom is going to be post pandemic. I can guarantee you the growth rate is not going to be the same. And I'm not breaking any new ground by, by mm -hmm. saying that. Kramer says they need to reinvent themselves. Tiffany, as much as she loves it, says they need something else because I don't know. You like Zoom's tired, man. Who wants you want to get out and talk to well, people? Yeah, I think people are I think people are tired of Zoom and it makes perfect sense to me that this has not been the place to be this year. It has nothing to do with the dominant theme, which is leaving the house and getting back to your activities that are off screen. So that you could make the same case that that's why Amazon's done nothing. That's why Apple's done nothing. Zoom is a $95 billion market cap. Everybody knows they will not repeat what they did in the first quarter of that they're comping against in 2020. They had growth up, uh, revenue growth of 355 percent in the in this quarter a year ago. That's not going to happen, but it could be 200 percent. And I actually don't think that the innovation thing is the most important right now. Although, of course, we want every tech company to innovate. That goes without saying. I think what's important is the second quarter guidance um, and, and just getting some sense that while, of course, the growth rate will decelerate, there's still a lot of potential here. The other thing to point out makes it a little bit of a tougher setup, which is why I would not tell people run out and buy it ahead of the quarter. Analyst estimates have actually been creeping up from when this quarter started. Mm -hmm. They started at 72 cents. They're at 99 cents going into the print. Revenue, uh, revenue of 926 million or something yeah. is consensus. I, mean, yeah, I actually that, that, think they could high. do over a billion. That's a little high, right, but I, uh, your yeah. point's well taken. We're looking at like revs of nine, 907, um, I guess on average EPS of 99 cents. Yeah, so that's up from where the quarter started. And I, the number I quoted to you was the estimized number, yeah, which yeah, I, I guess you. is the whisper. So I, so I, look, I, I, don't, I don't love the setup when analysts have been raising estimates, but the stock hasn't been reacting. That's not a great sign. So there could be a lot more sellers lurking in this thing. But to Tiffany's point, I do plan on remaining an investor. 
and I do think this will be a dominant franchise. It just still has a lot of work to do to prove to people that it's not just about work from home. Yeah, it's a show me. It becomes a show me story now. All right, Ask Halftime is next. You can send your questions by video. We'll play them on the air. Email us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. We're back right after this. All right, let's answer a question. And Tiffany, it is a video one for you. Hi, my name is Adeline. I am six years old. I am from Atlanta, Georgia. This question is for Tiffany. What are your thoughts of Disney stock? Okay, Adeline, our new favorite viewer. Tiffany, what's the answer? Adeline, you are so smart to ask about Disney. Um, I own Disney. I like Disney. What's really exciting is what Disney has been able to do with their Disney Plus streaming service. Um, They've really been able to do what the numbers that Netflix has done um, in a very, very short period of time. And I hope that you watch Disney. So ask your parents to buy you some Disney stock. (laughs) All right. Good stuff. Thank you very much for that. Final trades are next. Tonight at 6 Eastern, join me for CNBC's On the Edge, the promise, the profits, and the problems of the great reopening of America from the travel boom to the desperate hunt for workers to the bad behavior as Americans leave the comfort of their living rooms. It's all on tap tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern, right here on CNBC. I'm going to mix it up a little bit at 6. I hope you all join me then. All right, final trades. Tiffany McGee, what do you have for me? My small cap pick, PJT Partners. It's an advisory-based investment bank. Okay, thank you. Stephanie Link. Air Products. It's lagged Lindy, its biggest competitor. It's a global recovery story. They have a duopoly in industrial gases. Strong balance sheet. Excellent management team. You own it, I'm assuming. I do. Um, and I would look, I'm looking to buy more. Okay, just wanted to make sure we were, we were, we were there. Uh, John Ajarian. Airbnb, Scott, a great reopening play, I believe. And uh, it's made a substantial downward movement over the past four months. So I think it's a real value down here at 145. All right. You're on the same page as Tiff on that, as she talked about earlier. Joey T., the man with the ETF. Successful investing requires the discipline to stay committed to your winners just as long as you do to your losers. Goldman Sachs, a great example of that. All-time highs. I see another 20 25% higher. Do not get out. All right, Joey, thank you for that thought. And Josh Brown, the reformed broker. Uh, Alphabet Rampage is not over yet. I'm staying with this one to echo Joe's point. I think it's important. All right, good stuff. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. 
It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.